Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to another segment of Cisco and Falzone Hour. It's been a long time, but we're back. Broadcasting politics every Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Great. A lot of things have happened since we were last here, uh, just before the election. And as much as I don't want to get involved with the what happened and what is currently happening today, I'll briefly touch on something that really is disturbing. And the whole concept of 52 executive voters in less than a month, that to me sounds like a dictator. But I won't go beyond that. That's as far as I go. Mark, tell yes. us about your experience. Um, yes, talking about dictators. Yes, I'm, 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 I've been waiting, waiting patiently to hear your story. Okay. Luckily, you know, I'm an early bird because at 7 <laughs> o'clock in the morning, my doorbell rings. Now, I wow. live in a condo village, okay? Uh, doorbell rings. I was wondering who, you know, I thought maybe it was one of the neighbors about something because that's the only time the doorbell usually rings. There's a guy there with a badger with a, a badge around his neck, but not the FBI badge. You know, like a, a corporate badge. He does mm-hmm. flash me his badge, and he says, "Hello, I'm with the FBI." And I was like, oh. "Yeah," it, you know, because right away I had attitude with this. You know, I'm not one of these to, uh, oh my God, FBI. You know, I'm going to pee my pants or my knees knock. Just the opposite. You know, my freaking adrenaline kicks in. So he says, we see, on, we see on social media that you're planning to go down for the inauguration. So I told, so I immediately went after him. I was like, where'd you see that? I says, not only did I not post anything like that, I haven't seen anything posted like that associated with me whatsoever. Where did you see it? He, did, he doesn't mm-hmm. answer. Then he says, uh, were you there on the 6th? I says, yeah, damn, we're right. I was there on the 6th. He says, did you go into the Capitol? And I told him, no, no. I, I says, the worst part of everything about the 6th for me was I, was I was freezing my tail off. The whole, as soon as I got off the bus, freezing cold. I didn't expect it. Um, so then I then I laced into him. I told him, what the hell are you doing chasing a retired harmless guy in New Jersey when you have all the <laughs> low-hanging fruit, you know, the, the criminals right there in D.C. So you don't even have to leave the friggin' capital. I told him, and you can start <laughs> with, with, uh, with Comey and, uh, I, think, and uh, I forget the other, uh, Clapper. They said, start with those two bastards. And then I told Ben, have a nice day. And I went, nah. <laughs> that's, that's typical Falzone way of doing things. <laughs> How, yeah, well, come that on, that's the ledgehammer time. What, what, what the hell is that? You know, I, I, I laid off the SS and KGB, you know, uh, Relations to what he was doing. <laughs> how how was that? What happened when you got there on the sixth? Uh, we got there. We what parked, you, our bus was parked right by the Native American Museum. Okay. We uh, and and we were very lucky because our bus and a few buses came in behind us, and then they closed off whatever block that was. You know, because they, they, right. were, they were barricading things all over the place. And, and you know, I, I wanted to segue. You know, we I'm sure many of us heard about the BOA spying on their own customer base and reporting yeah. it to uh, the FBI. And I wanted to tell you, I was in D.C. that day. There was nothing open, nothing. We walked for miles and miles. There was a Starbucks, but I hate Starbucks. Even if I'm freezing cold and dying for coffee, I still won't. I'll crawl the other way from a friggin' Starbucks. <laughs> uh, but there was well, a restaurant that was 
selling coffee outside and allowing folks to use the restroom. That was very important. Oh, here's a Definitely. side note. Our bus driver could have earned well over $100. People were knocking on a bus door because I, I was hanging in the bus for half the day yes. to stay warm. People were knocking on the bus doors saying, we'll give you $20 to use the bathroom. <laughs> and he kept on saying no. And I was telling him, you're a fool, man. And, you know, and then, <laughs> and then each time someone knocked on the door, I'd go, that's 40 yeah. That's 60 Definitely. That's 80 That's 100 But the, Fantastic. The, that seems that, to be the gotta, biggest we, crisis, one-six for yeah. about one million, the, the majority of the Trump supporters was finding a restaurant. Fantastic. We got to bring in Melissa. Melissa, tonight we're, ha- we're having a special guest, Melissa Hubbard, the founder of the first Tea Party in the United <laughs> States. Uh, yeah, this I'm is very story interested young... about that. Where was that? Yeah. Where was that? Wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me, uh, Mark. Let me, let me uh, go ahead. Uh, let me just introduce her first. Melissa, a young woman who left a life of sexual abuse in a small town to become a big city dominatrix and a big political activist. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Cisco Popstone Hour. Uh, hi, Cisco, and thank you very much. <laughs> Definitely, and, and and she has a book. Uh, I know you. I know what you said, but I'm still going to mention it because I love the name Spanking City Hall. You have a chance. Go ahead and buy it. I I read a lot of what's in the book, and it's really great. And I think it's uh it's an incredible story. Welcome. So, uh, are you are tr- are you a true Hoosier? Indiana Hoosier? Yes. I was born and raised in Indiana, and I still live here. Got it. Uh, It's a lovely state. I've traveled through it from Indianapolis to South Bend, South Bend to Columbus, Indiana. It's uh, I did quite a few uh, business trips to uh, get off in, in that Nice airport in Indianapolis. So, but so when you started this, um, and you moved from a small town, you moved to Indianapolis, right? Right. I moved okay. to Indianapolis in 1986. Right. Okay. And 1986. What was what was predominantly the the government that was managing the local government that was managing Indianapolis? Oh, it was wonderful back then. Um, We had a a governor who was in office decades. His name was uh, Bill Hudnut. He was a tall, gregarious guy. He was always seen all around town, um, just well-liked by everybody across the board. And really, did great things for the city of Indianapolis um, during his tenure. Um, It was after that that the city really started to decline. And, of course, it's very, very much been declining in the last five years uh, because we, uh, we are now a Democrat supermajority run city. Um, parts of our downtown are still boarded up from the riots that we had last May. Right. Um, it's it. Taxes are sky high. The roads are horrible. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of like you know the whole the whole thing you expect to get in a Democrat supermajority run city. Definitely, definitely. Mark, you want to go ahead and ask uh, Melissa what you were planning to ask her. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was interested in this Tea Party thing because you know I was involved with that for, from the get go. Also, what, what city did you have this Tea Party gathering? Well, um, I believe that if we want to affect change, we need to clean up our own backyards first. So, I just started in my own backyard um, of my neighborhood. It was called Meridian, or it's called Meridian Kessler. And it was right in Indianapolis. Um, Basically what happened was I had been 
um, about a year and a half earlier, I had been persecuted by City Hall Democrats for having been a dominatrix. And um, that's surprising. They I'm, went into I'm the, surprised they weren't on the top of your list of customers. <laughs> uh, well, as far as my customers, they were. I wasn't really political in those days when I was a dom. <laughs> I, you know, and my customers were um, guaranteed by me for life to always have full confidentiality. So no matter who they are, I will never reveal who they are or were. I mean, I, I don't practice anymore. It's been many, many years. But what happened was the City Hall Democrats were, had decided to persecute me in the media and the courts. Um, I think I was used as a distraction in the media to they wanted the public, I think, to pay attention to me rather than what the Democrat mayor at that time. um, His name was Bart Peterson. He was doing a city merger and merging several departments together um, and moving a lot of money. What years around is this, ma'am? The years that... Um, that I was persecuted were in 05, 06, and 07, and the Tea Party was formed in 07. The Tea Party was basically my response in a way. I, I, this, because the city had lied about me, my first instinct, especially as, you know, kind of an alpha female was like, if they're lying about me, what else are they lying about? And I'm like, I'm going to find out. And so that was sort of why I started studying city politics. And the way I studied it was reading Internet blogs. Indiana had a rich blogging community in those days. There were, I mean, a lot of them were written by lawyers. There were just so many blogs. And I'm like, well, the news isn't going to give me dirt on the mayor, but these blogs are going to give me dirt on the mayor. So that's why mm-hmm. I started reading them. And it's sort of like City Hall, I looked at it as kind of a soap opera. You know, you you can't just turn on the TV on day one with a soap opera and know what's going on. You have to watch that soap for a whole year. Then you know all the characters. Then you know their backstories. Then you know all their relationships in the past. And so... I basically did my homework. I spent 20, 30 hours a week studying blogs to learn the cast of characters at City Hall. And in the blogs in those days, the commenters were mostly anonymous. So, you know, you you didn't know. You, you would just have to kind of go on the content of what they were saying, whether or not to trust it. You didn't have a name with the comments. And... What I was finding, because I was spending so much time reading every word, I was finding that these anonymous commenters were making a whole lot more sense than the evening news when it came to this impending reassessment of property taxes statewide. And it was the property tax issue in Indiana where there was a reassessment, and for many people, the taxes were so high they couldn't even pay them, including from the neighborhood that I lived in that had a lot of wealthy people that lived there. So when your wealthy can't pay their taxes, you've got a real problem. And what happened was at the same time, I was also a volunteer for the fair tax, The Fair Tax is an act that's been in Congress for many years. Um, It's never become a bill. It's never come up for vote. But it's an action that's being taken and looked at by some congressmen, not very many, but some, to completely abolish the IRS. And because I'm an abolitionist against slavery, and that includes human trafficking, Mm -hmm. um, I was like... Uh, yeah, this fair tax thing has is, is got me all over because income tax is basically a tax on our labor. It's slavery, and I'm an abolitionist. So that's how I got involved with the fair tax. And what I found out about property taxes 
enabled me to front run the problem in Indiana and basically run get to my neighbors before their bills came and I had my neighbors rallied before they had their bills in what's considered one of the more prestigious neighborhoods in the city and there was kind of a who's who in India lived in that neighborhood and I got all those folks into the streets and some of them took to the streets with literal pitchforks (laughs) it was something to behold well, and I always joke and say, you know, if you can get the wealthy people into the streets with pitchforks, you've got yourself a movement. <laughs> Definitely. You know what? These but, days, these days, they'd be labeling you, uh-oh, it's the white nationalist, you know, because it's the more well-to-do yeah. neighborhood. Yeah. So, so well, Melissa, said, let's let's talk about that white nationalist thing because. So, well, wait. Uh, let me well, just ask. That there's me, an important. Okay, go ahead. Okay, go. I'm sorry. You go ahead. Well, there's a very important part of that that people don't know. The Tea Party, when we were forming it, these former Black Panthers came to us and wanted to help. And I was asked, can they help? And I'm like, yeah, they could help. The more the merrier. And that was kind of my, you know, my position And there was this one meeting very early on. We would have activist meetings, oh, every, you know, at least once a week, if not twice a week. And there was this one meeting early on. I had a 27-foot living room in my home, and um, half of it was former Black Panthers Mm. who came to teach the, the people in my neighborhood how to do civil disobedience. Because we didn't have experience with that. So it was all the people working together. And I'm telling you, those guys were really useful um, for me especially because I had – well, think about it. In in 07, were there any times when any kind of conservatives had ever taken to the streets in acts of political activism or cultural activism? Not since the suffragettes. Right. And that was a big, big deal that we did that. Um, and it, it, we stayed in the streets for months, and it became a full-blown movement. Yeah, one of the that's fantastic. Uh, I, I love that that you brought that interaction you you had with the Black Panthers because there's well, a the, Black Panthers, former Black Panthers, former Black Panthers. Because yes, they were not currently when we worked with them. Former Black Panthers, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that that interaction was there was fantastic because they, you know, the press, the media, and even politicians tried to divide society because they liked the divide and conquer method of, of splitting and no unification between the people. But my question to you in regards to the, we have the flat tax, we got the fair tax. Abolishing the IRS. Personally, I don't see how abolishing the IRS will become something of a, of a reality, something happening, because there's too much interest. There's the lobby, the, the IRS, and the people who lobby for the IRS, the accountants, the CPAs, and all that, that's a very powerful lobby that Congress will not push aside. Would you agree? Um, well, that that is one of the reasons why it doesn't go anywhere. Yes, mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. But anyone who digs for it doesn't take very long to figure it out. But the um, just like the Federal Reserve is not really part of the government; it's a yes. private corporation. Um, the IRS is also a private corporation, and the IRS actually sends our taxes to the Crown um, to England. Yes. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a it's like a mafia, a cartel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could call it that. Um, and and I did not know. I knew about the Federal Reserve, but I did not know about the IRS being a private corporation back then. I've only actually, and probably in the last year, found that out. Yes. So the the other part to this political activist that you started 
in Indianapolis. At what at what time? I mean, at, at what period did you say to yourself, "This is a movement that's going to go nationwide"? Well, I very much wanted it to go nationwide, and here's the thing: the movement almost didn't happen. So. I had this as a Fairfax volunteer with all this intel about property tax bills that were coming that I had gathered from the Internet and anonymous commenters. I say that the anons, and I called them anonymous commenters back then, but the anons are the true father of the Tea Party movement. It would not – they inseminated it. Let's put it that way. Right. And – so the the movement almost didn't happen because on the day I was supposed to go, I had a one-day period of time where I could reach my neighbors before their bills they could not pay arrived in their mailboxes. And I had, I had these volunteers, these other fair tax volunteers that were going to ride with me house to house to go and warn the neighbors. And nobody showed up to go with me. On the Hmm. day we were supposed to do it, everybody had like an excuse and they all bailed on me. So I had borrowed, you know, several bicycles. So everyone had a bike and we, you know, there was this plan. We were going to do it and nobody showed up. And I was just sitting there all by myself and I'm like, this is a stupid idea. Everybody thinks this is stupid. You know, all these things that go through your mind. Right. And I didn't really want to go it alone. And then God came in and God gave me a very powerful message. And I don't like sit around every day and hear the voice of God. Okay. It's been very few very profound times in my life that I have heard the voice of God and God said, see it through. It's bigger than you. So instead of ditching the plan, because no one showed up to go with me, I hopped on my bicycle all by myself and rode my bike for 10 hours to warn my neighbors that they were about to get a bill in the next day or so in their mailbox. They couldn't afford They were going to get the bill, I think, on a Tuesday, and then that Wednesday was the 4th of July, and I told them to meet at the governor's mansion, and the governor's mansion was in our neighborhood, and Mm. I said, you meet at the governor's mansion, and the fair tax people are going to be there, and we have a plan, and that part I kind of bluffed a little bit. We did have an economic study that if the fair tax was enacted in Indiana, what that would look like. But that was kind of about all we had as a plan. Um, But it turned out to be the right thing to do because 500 neighbors turned up. Wow. It choked off the main artery um, in Indianapolis that leads straight to downtown. It's called US 31 or Meridian Street where the governor's mansion is. And we blocked the street. Um, we didn't. I didn't intend for it to block the street, but there were just so many people that it blocked the street. And the cops ended up being really nice to us because, well, they have houses and taxes too. Let's put it that way. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they were really nice to us, and they just set up barricades and blocked the street and let us have the whole street, even though we didn't pull permits or anything. So. And then we had a full-blown movement. I didn't call it the Tea Party. It was just a rally. But there was this old, grouchy, government-hating man in the crowd. And we've all been around those guys. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he said, we need a Tea Party, like Boston Tea Party. (laughs) He maybe even said Boston Tea Party. And I'm like, that's it party we have to make this a party so it's fun and people want to come to a party because remember i had just been rejected by all the fair tax volunteers because it was work 
to go house to house right. <laughs> a right. bicycle all day long and warn your neighbors. But to come to a party, that's not work. No, that's and, fun. Yeah, that's fun. And I had this background, you know, as a dominatrix, I threw events, um, like I, I threw a giant fetish ball once and put a thousand people in a venue. And wow. I'm like, well, I'm just going to make this into events and parties. And it won't be like it's work. And that and that's what made it work. Wow. And that's where the name came from. And and also I know who coined the word teabagger. Um so July twenty eighth. So July fourth was actually the governor's mansion rally. And then there were several there were several protests and rallies between that date and the twenty eighth. And by July twenty eighth is when we had the very first tea party where it was called tea party and we had a giant tea bag that was sewn that said Hoosiers for fair taxation and Indiana on it. And we, we um, walked that tea bag around and everybody brought their property tax assessments that they couldn't pay. And they put those papers in the tea bag and then we cinched it up and we dunked it from a bridge into the canal that ran through our neighborhood. We have this big, beautiful canal. And all the TV channels were there. The newspaper was there. And there was this footage of us lowering this giant Hoosiers for Fair Taxation tea bag into the canal. And they played that footage over and over and over again on the news because the property tax Thing ended up being the biggest problem in Indiana maybe ever. Wow. And even though the evening news had previously said all along that don't worry about the property tax reassessments, everybody's going to be able to afford them, it was the Internet Anons who had tipped me off that, it, that I knew it was going to be an unmitigated disaster. I mean, and the Anons were giving me info like um, – you don't even have any idea what the city software is. They can't do those reassessments. It takes two minutes. Their software is so old, it takes two minutes just to turn a page in an account. And we've all worked on computers. We know what it's like to sit there and have to wait for a page to move when it's not yeah, in Of course. And that's all I needed to hear was the software. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's no way that they can do this. Also, they had no rhyme or reason for how they were going to do these reassessments. So because the Anons had tipped me off on the reality inside the State House and inside City Hall, I knew that the news was lying. And, I've, and so you can say fake news and Anons were part of the Tea Party founding. Wow. Uh, Melissa, uh, we have a, a caller, 7131. Do you have a question for Melissa Hubbard? No, not, not yet. Or a comment? I'm kind of lost in this particular conversation. Well, <laughs> really, I'm not, maybe I'm not we're very gonna... aware of what I'm listening to. You're listening to the founder of the Tea Party. Melissa Hubbard. Right. My my daughter my daughter joined the Tea Party, but I don't know when it was, and I don't know what happened to the Tea Party. I, well, I think that's, that's what I'm trying to tell you. That's that's too that's many a of question us. For, too many of us passed away, ma'am. The Tea Party started, geez, uh, what, thirteen years ago, something like that. Yeah. You know, I was uh, Yeah, I didn't Rick Santorum get this going on uh, one of the communist. The news stations by referring that we we need a tea party and that's what it seemed to kick off because I know in Jersey yeah. shortly thereafter we had a massive first tea party gathering and sadly there ended up being a north nor'easter blasting us you know right on the <laughs> boardwalk at Belmar. Well, I'll explain how that happened. So our movement was um, getting a lot of media attention nationwide. 
And the way I know that is that I was the media coordinator, uh, so I was the point person. So any media would call me and want to do articles. Now, you would not see my name in the articles because I would never let them make it about me. I could have let them make it about me because they wanted to come and interview me. And I'm like, no, you don't really want to interview me. You want to talk to, you know, this 71-year-old lady who's on a fixed income, and now her property taxes are so high, she's going to lose her home of 30 years if something doesn't happen. And I said, let me call her and see if she would be willing to talk to you. So basically, I would set the media up with good people to talk with so that our side of the story or, you know, our message was told through the media. And we had L.A. Times, their bureau chief, um, their Midwest bureau chief was located in Chicago. So he um, called me. Uh, Lots of Chicago Times stories. We were on CNN because I took our tea party all over the state of Indiana and if you were a little community and you wanted to have a tea party too, all you had to do is contact me and I would bring a delegation from Indianapolis and we would come to your little town wherever you lived. And there was this one that happened on this lake in Indiana with a lot of wealthy people that lived on this lake. And um, the South Bend TV station was there. And that footage got picked up by CNN. Now, where Rick Santelli comes in, um, they had studied us. In fact, December of 2007, the Sam Adams Alliance and Foundation in Chicago, Illinois, gave me the country's first National Tea Party Prize. So I had to go up to Chicago and accept it. All those people met me. And I spent an evening with them at this awards ceremony. Well, the next thing I know, it's a year later, February 9th, 2009, Rick Santelli on CNBC is on the floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Right. So here we have all the Chicago media I know was studying us. I got that award in Chicago. Then all of a sudden, on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, there's Rick Santelli having his fake meltdown on fake news calling Mm -hmm. for a tea party. So (laughs) that's when the boys hijacked it. The reason they had to hijack it is you can't have legit, decentralized, unfunded grassroots like we were in Indianapolis moving billions of dollars and causing major election upsets. I mean, we literally caused the biggest election upset in state history, still to this day. And our movement got the government to not only um, suspend property tax payments while they figured out how to clean up the mess, but ultimately our constitution was opened and they capped uh, property tax at 1% in the Constitution of Indiana. So these were big deals. That's why they had to hijack it. And they also knew about the ex-Black Panthers. So to let me to let me run anything, they met me. They knew, like, my background as a dominatrix. They knew they weren't going to be able to control me. And so what do you do? You hijack it. You keep that person you can't control at arm's length while you get a handle on this, and then you you use that as kind of an opposition in the media and brand those people as racist. Right. And that's exactly what they did. Now, the word teabagger, which is a derogatory sexual term that I'm not even going to go into what it means, but if people want to know, <laughs> they can look it up. That word was coined on July 28, 2007, by the communications director of the Indiana Democratic Party, whose name is Jennifer Wagner. And Mm. she coined and she called us that. The families that went there were called a derogatory sexual term, and she just thought it was so funny. And that's where that term came from. 
and the first mm-hmm. time culturally it was that was ever used um, about the Tea Party people. Who, but yeah, who, that's how the hijacking and the whole thing went down. Melissa, who was the governor during that time in Indiana? Great question. The governor was a guy named Mitch Daniels. Who Mitch was Daniels. Brilliant, brilliant guy. He, yeah. like Trump, was a businessman. Yes. He's an executive. And so he approached the problem like an executive would, and that's why, and he led the effort to get the, the taxes capped. And uh, the first thing he did, too, was he cut state spending 10%. He was looking for a reason and cover to cut state spending. So I, my thing is because he treated us with such great respect, I think he actually liked having us in the streets because we gave him populist cover to do some reforms that would have been more difficult for him to do, you know, without us in the streets. Right. But he, he disappeared because I know Mitch Daniel – he was going to work, uh, he was offered a position during the Bush era, um, or he, 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 he totally disappeared from the face of uh, politics. I, I, I stopped hearing about him. And well, what I, he did was he accepted the position as president of Purdue University. Boilermakers. And, yeah, and Purdue is... Well, let's put it this way, like tuition is cut for liberal arts degrees by 25% because you can do a liberal arts degree now in three years there instead of four. Mm. And he's he's frozen tuition, so tuition hasn't gone up, I don't think, the entire time he's been its president. Wow. Um, he's really making a mark with universities, and I think what the, what they should be doing and how they should be run Um. So, yeah, that's what he's doing. Ever since he left as governor, he's been at Purdue. So Mary, jo- Mary, Jane, uh, Mary Beth Martin became also Jenny, Jenny, Jenny Beth Martin. Jenny Beth mm-hmm. Martin. Be- yeah, she, she was the one, but now I know the real story behind this. She became the face of the Tea Party afterwards. Yes, and guess what? Ginny Beth Martin paid herself $600,000 a year as a consultant. Mm. Guess how much money I gave myself? Zero. I I worked 30 hours a week on top of my full-time job. Hmm. Oh, I could tell you a cute uh, Ginny Beth Martin story from her early days. Uh, I was one of the first big D.C. Tea Party protests, and... uh, I was leading uh, multiple buses from New Jersey, and uh, a big group of us from Jersey were walking towards the Capitol on the lawn, and there's Jenny Beth Martin. Back then, she was a chubby little girl, and she's running around with a clipboard lost in a panic. So (laughs) all of us were a bunch of older guys, so we were like, settle down, settle down, what's the problems? So we sought everything out for her. And it, I had a picture of me on the podium with John Voigt, but I lost it, Damon. You know, <laughs> they wanted me hey, to speak that you, day. What? Thank you for all that work. I mean, coordinating busloads of people to go mm-hmm. to D.C. is not an easy endeavor. <laughs> oh, no, no. And, and to be honest, look, I'm, I'm not going, you know, I, I don't uh, BS. Uh, th- there were a lot of women that would took care of the nitty-gritty aspects of that, you know, dealing with the bus companies, et cetera, with the people, collecting the money, getting the uh, pickup spots. But, uh, yeah, Jersey mm-hmm. has been very active. But I, I know that the, the, one of our callers mentioned what happened to the Tea Party, and I'll tell you, too many of them passed away, too many of them moved away. And that's what happened with the Tea Party. Although they're still here in Jersey, there's still a couple of good ones, and they've changed their names. You know, they no longer have Tea Party in their names, but uh, they're still uh, civilian activists, and that's what counts. Yeah, that's what counts. It doesn't matter what we call ourselves. I mean, the way I look at it is 
you know, our movement in Indianapolis was the grandparent and then the, the hijacked version um, that included uh, Jenny Beth Martin was the child and the grandchild was MAGA. And that grandchild totally favors its grandparent. Let me just put it that way. Right. Um, yeah, um, yeah. That, so it is the MAGA movement. And for the next You know, step, and also I want to say on his behalf, Mark Meckler was also involved with Jenny Bed Martin at the early goings. Uh, and I had dealings with him. But then you do, you, you do know that he quit his six-figure job at Tea Party Patriots and walked away from them because, you know, I was a state coordinator for Tea Party Patriots for New Jersey. Uh, that happened after my first Fox interview, you know, because I was on Fox three times myself, ma'am, as, as a guest, not part of the panel. Um, mm-hmm. So all, all all of that went off, and uh, yep. he just walked away. He was so upset with the, you know, I'll be nice. I'll call it a coffee clutch environment, <laughs> you, you know, and mm-hmm. where people were enriching themselves. And uh, mm-hmm. there's some nasty nicknames for some of these. Tea- then there was also Tea Party Express. They yep. were also up and running and involved with things. I know they did many uh, bus uh, marathons around the country also. I, I know I was involved with them in a big one. We closed down Main Street, Tom's River. There were tens of thousands of people down there. I have pictures of that one, too. Love it. Uh, Love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It started from... When it started from somebody on a bicycle organizing this. I know, I know. That's, when you that's think like about, and then when I hear about things like 10,000 people, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, God was right. Because remember, <laughs> God told me, see it through. It's bigger than you. Yes. God was there from the beginning, you guys. And that's the thing they can't control is God. Well, definitely. And you know what? That's just where you want to be. You want to be on God's side. Yeah. Right. Melissa, I have I I have a couple questions here. Uh so the role of tea, of the Tea Party in the past, where do you see the Tea Party role today? Because as the constant attacks on different supporters from different groups, the media portraying them in, in, in that fashion, the intimidation factor plays has played a role in people staying away. How do you see that changing? Well, it doesn't matter what we call ourselves, Tea Party or not. I mean, there's tons of, like, Tea Party groups that still meet. I mean, they tried to astroturf the thing, but they never fully could. It's always been legitimate grassroots. And grassroots is decentralized, decentralized, and it's unfunded. So it's just like, you know, some little gal in some town anywhere can be like, you know, I'm going to hold Tea Party meetings. But I don't even think you need to call them Tea Party. I think there's another generation that's come along now since MAGA that was just born. And it's a brand new baby called Save America. Mm. And so Save America would be like our great-grandchild, okay, You know, if we have the national movement being the child and MAGA being the grandchild, then the next, you know, generation would be Save America. And I know exactly what Save America needs to do, and it's not the Patriot Party. All the Patriot Party is going to do is dilute the vote. That's, Um, That's the part of what you said happened to the Tea Party. They hijacked it. They're hijacking this movement. The same way. Yeah, so what we need to do is we need to act like them, okay? And we need to be like, okay, we're going to organize grassroots by the thousands, and we're going to infiltrate our local GOPs. Because here's what I learned as an activist in 07. Our GOPs are corrupt on the Mm -hmm. county level. Most of the GOP chairmen, They're not elected officials. I mean, they're elected within the GOP, 
in the in the counties, but most of them are corrupt. And here in Indianapolis, Indiana, what they were doing and still do to this day is they make their deals behind closed doors. So they get together with the Democrats behind closed doors, and they're like, okay, here's all the seats. They make sure that all their dirty, rotten scoundrels get in without opposition, and the good guys in both parties get pushed out and maneuvered out. So what we have to do in the GOP, now, and I'm not a Republican, but this is what has to be done. People by the thousands need to go into these GOPs and outnumber them and vote themselves in as precinct committeemen and basically overrun them with numbers and drive yeah, out Yeah, we've been there done that in New Jersey. Been there done that in Jersey. Lots of committee people uh, in, the, in the Tea Party ranks. Good. Well, and, and basically, if everybody did that, then you chase out those corrupt chairs, you put everybody on notice, you hold them accountable for what they did uh, with basically allowing the Democrats to steal an election. They allowed it. They allowed it. I know. I know. And you see now Georgia insults the injury. They need their, they need their <laughs> Yeah. In Georgia now, they they want to do an investigation into Trump manipulating the election. And these are two Republicans, Republican governor, Republican, what is he, attorney general or secretary of state, whatever that yeah. other sellout yeah. is. Total oh, sellout. Yeah. They're totally, communists. You know, it, it was yeah. definitely stolen, definitely fraudulent. And uh, the thing that cracks me up is, Offense walls and fences don't work, but they put them up around the Capitol building, but they don't want to put them yeah. on the southern border. The <laughs> bastards. That, that's true. Now, I, I want to touch, Melissa, on on this book. That how long did it take you to write that book? Because you have a, you have so much to to reveal that you could probably write multiple books. On this, but I yeah. love the title, Spanking City Hall. Thank you. I oh, love yeah. it too. <laughs> yeah. It's been, you know, it's an enjoyable, interesting well, they need, history. They need spanked. They absolutely they need more than spanked. Some of them need executed legally. Mm, wow. Um, yeah, well, they need punished. Yes. I, you know, they have violated natural law, which is the science of morality. They've violated morality up one side and down the other and act like, you know, it's okay to do it and then lie about it. Right. I, you know, we, we have to live in a just society right. or we don't have a society. Right. And so, you know, and, this human trafficking and all of that that goes on as well. I mean, these are our children. Like no society that a society that doesn't protect its children stands for absolutely nothing. Right. So what are we going to do? Well, as near as I can tell, what we have to do is clean out our GOPs and take them over. Then we run the show. And, you know, when I look at how it works in Indiana, now Indiana's a red state. We have about 7 million people here, so we're a small state. Uh, our GOP, we're, the state is red, but our GOP has basically said, yeah, we don't really put any effort behind Indianapolis because that's just a lost cause. Right. You don't even fight. Like, what kind of men are these? They're weaklings. They're feckless. They're, they should be ashamed of themselves. How can you, like, hold your head up high and act like that? Well, well I want to know. I, I, I'll tell you something. Uh, from, from my experience, being involved in politics, a lot of these politicians, if you have, if they have something on you, they'll blackmail you, and you'll go from someone who's going to be out there fighting for them to basically someone who's going to be working with them because they have something. That's how Washington runs. Yes, you know? you're right. And yeah. that's why if you have anything to hide, you don't hide it. 
And I've always been an advocate of, like, not being in the closet. My clients, when I was a dominatrix, they were all scared to death. I used to say, you're cowering in a closet of fear and shame. Like, really, I don't care if you like to cross-dress and wear a dress. I really don't (laughs) care. And you know what? If we talk to people about it and why you do it, they'll come to see you as a human being and not judge you by the fact that you like to wear you know, pantyhose or whatever. And, and, but they're like, no, miss, I can't, I can't. They were just so scared of judgment. And I'm like, once you put it out there, and that's why I never, ever hid about being a dominatrix. I was like, you can judge me if you want, but I have really good reasons for everything I do. Or, or right. you can talk to me. And if you judge me, that's your problem, not mine. How I always looked at it, and therefore there was nothing that they could hold over my head because I was out of the closet, right? My, you know, and now I'm not a dominatrix anymore. But I'll tell you what, that experience of learning to own your own power taught me everything I needed to know as a political activist, and teach my neighbors that they are the rightful dominant. In the relationship between them and the government, the government is literally authored by the Constitution to be their submissive. It's not the other way around. We're not the sub. We're the dom. We need to act like it. That's the problem. You've got a GOP that acts like it's the sub to the Democratic Party. Well, it is. It, it, It actually is. Uh, and that's the reason I, I'm totally disgusted with with the politics of both, because in reality, I, I don't see a difference between the two at all. Right. And but the GOP is so weakened. It's yeah. ripe for takeover. It's ripe. All it takes is this decentralized grassroots movement to power up again. Call it Save America because Trump did. And I think that's why Trump's using that branding. And by the way, Trump has backed off of this Patriot Patriot Party thing. He doesn't want anything to do with it. And I don't blame him because all that's going to do is suck in a bunch of Ginny Beth Martins who want to make money and get power for themselves off of it and not real decentralized grassroots people. Those decentralized grassroots people need to go to their county GOP meetings Take five people with you and decide that you're going every single month and you're going to plant yourself in there until you kick out the filth. They've got to go in and, like, surgically remove it. But you need, you need Melissa, you, to be realistic in accomplishing that, you need funding. You need money. No, you don't. What we did in Indiana, we did without a penny. I paid for what we needed out of my own pocket, but it was right. just like, oh, I'll print some flyers or, oh, you know, I need a couple hundred dollars for this or that. I would just pay for it. You know, we weren't an official organization. That's another thing. What's with all this, like, wanting to set up nonprofits? You don't have to do that to, like, meet with people in your house. You don't have to have government permission to organize. And you really don't need money. You right. can basically, if you're grown-ups, you can be like, okay, it's going to cost X amount of dollars to do this. Everybody pony up 20 bucks, And that's right. how we ran it. And we could go from idea to an implementation of an idea within three days. And that's how we ran antics in the media all the time and ran circles around City Hall embarrassing them every single week with something, and we would get in the news for it. Um, just basically, they they would just fall into their own pits over and over and over again. Right. And, you, and so we weren't spending our time worrying about having an organization and worrying about having funding and worrying about having all of that. We were like meeting in each other's homes serving frozen pizzas out of the oven, having a case of beer, and, like, getting down to business and figuring out how we were going to freaking embarrass and humiliate them in the media and keep the thing moving. And that's what made it work. 
No, no, I agree, I agree with you on that aspect, but I'm saying if you're going to be putting out their candidates to run against these corrupt uh, officials, running a campaign, you need big funding. Right. Now, I'm all for funding individuals, but yeah. not the GOP itself. You, no. What we do is we hijack the GOP platform exactly like Trump did. Yeah. Trump yeah. Can you imagine? Wait, can you imagine back in like 09 or 10, if we had gotten the infusions of cash that these Marxist no good SOBs and Atifa and BLM are getting, I mean, you look, this one's giving them 100 million, this one 250 million. If we had $50,000, we could have taken over the friggin' Northeast, for Christ's sake. You know, because we, we had nothing. We and, and, and when I was involved with this myself heavily, I was unemployed and broke. And it was other Tea Party people that, you know, you needed $45 for this bus, so you needed 60 for this. People were always covering for me. They were so terrific. Uh, they were that's time. How, that's how we roll. That is exactly what yep. happens. And I'm so glad you stepped up to volunteer because somebody else that may not have had the time that you had was like, well, I've got the money. You've got the time, right? Right. Yes. Right. I used to spend 12 hours a day, seven days a week on the computer or on conference calls. Uh, no, we were heavily involved in so many initiatives. I won't even get into it. But I got to tell you one thing: we we had this big, like, uh, uh, what can I call it? A, a tutoring session that we rented out this massive hall in North Jersey, and we initially decided no politicians. The GOP went crazy that we wouldn't let some of their politicians come in that we got into a real knockdown slam fight, you know, on blogs, on this, on that, and we beat them. You, you talk about beating the gop. We beat them so bad, they sent a letter to the NAACP asking for help, you know, against the racist Tea Party. And, uh, because oh, we my just God. Pounded them. Uh, be, they were so upset no politicians would, would, would come, especially one. I won't mention him. He's a cons- conservative favorite. And uh, I, I think it was his minions that I chopped up and put through the meat grinder on the public thing. I, it got to the point. I even I, They were such wise guys on there because they had their own blog, the Republicans. I told them, okay, bastards, meet me in a public debate face-to-face in front of a crowd. Let's do this. You know, if you're so friggin' smart, mm-hmm. meet me face-to-face. Of course they back down. You, you know, like you said, they, 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 they have a lack of testicles. Yeah. Uh, Melissa, we have, we have two minutes. I, I, I want to I touch on the last thing. The governor, Governor, uh, I think his name is Holcomb? Holcomb, yeah. Yeah. Now, Indiana, a red state, why elect someone who's really not a conservative? Because Holcomb is not really a conservative, from what I've seen. He's he's on Pompeo's uh, uh, communist-friendly list. Do you need to know anything more than that? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope Brennan's on the top of that list, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, again, I just am going to keep always going back to we've got to we've got to infiltrate these local GOPs because they're weakened and we need to just go in and outnumber them and take over. I mean, it's basically just conquering them. No, I I, I, I love I got to tell you this. Back in 2009, I was doing a big push because I saw all my Republican friends going through such hassles and primaries and such uphill battles with the Republican establishment. I was telling everyone, let's take over the Libertarian Party and let's let's use that name. But let let me just say, (laughs) Melissa, thank you. We appreciate you coming on, uh, on our program tonight. Uh, fascinating. Anyone out there? 
buy her book. And thank you again, and you're always welcome to come back. Well, thank and you. We're sponsored by you students for a, a better future. Definitely. Th- thank you. Thank you uh, so much. Good night. Uh, all right. Have a good night. Good night.